0: Is Israel gearing up for an attack on Iran's nuclear facilities? Will recent improvements on the ground in Iraq last? We'll ask Fox News military analyst Colonel David Hunt. Also, Barack Obama supports a new kind of politics. But has he just broken his first campaign promise? We'll see what liberal pundit Carl Jeffers says. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture.
1: Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. It's one small step for man, one
2: giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will
0: live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what
2: the meaning of the word is, is.
0: president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at live.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson.
1: The other side talks a lot about hope, and that sums up their Iraq policy pretty well. They want to retreat from Iraq and hope nothing bad happens. Okay, that's President Bush, and he's mocking, really, Barack Obama's Audacity of hope theme. He's saying this is misguided hope on Iraq, but also misguided hope when it comes to the influence of special interests. Today, Obama rejecting public financing of his presidential campaign. And is he going to be beholden to the special interest? He thinks he can be immune to that. But here he is rejecting this public financing.
3: We've made the decision not to participate in the public financing system for the general election. This means we'll be foregoing more than $80 million in public funds during the final months of this election.
1: All right, folks, this is not a minor point. It raises questions of trust, hypocrisy, and really whether or not Obama is the change candidate. We're going to hear from John McCain later. We'll also be interviewing Carl Jeffers on this development. You don't want to miss it.
4: Also, American officials are reporting that Israel has conducted a major military exercise. Really, they're saying a rehearsal for a bombing attack on Iran's nuclear facilities. Here's a report from uh, Sagar Magani in Washington.
0: Officials here at the Pentagon say a big Israeli military exercise early this month may have been aimed partly at showing its abilities to attack Iranian nuclear facilities. Two officials say dozens of aircraft were sent to the eastern Mediterranean, The Israeli military will not confirm or deny that the exercise was essentially practice for a strike. But one American defense official says the maneuver could be taken as a demonstration to Iran and the world that Israel's prepared to challenge the Iranian nuclear program militarily. Sagar Meghani at the Pentagon.
4: So Iran is saying that it's going to hit back with a strong blow, a united roar. And I guess the question is, should we be concerned about Iran's nuclear program and these maneuvers by Israel? Should we get on board with this? We have a special guest to talk about it. He's actually a frequent guest here on the program, Fox News military analyst Colonel David Hunt. And uh, he has been, of course, uh, in Special Operations, Counterterrorism, and Intelligence Operations. And I'm also noticing he's a graduate of Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government. Colonel Hunt, thank you for joining us.
5: Hi, good. Good afternoon. Hi.
4: It's great to have you. Can you tell us about uh, this particular exercise on the part of Israel? Do you think it signals that they've got some intentions against Iran's nuclear facilities?
5: I think what it's, what signals it to me is that they, they leaked, they usually very secretive about attack, it, although it's very hard to hide uh, air exercises. This is, you know, jets and tankers refueling, a lot of maneuvering, but that this was leaked by the Israeli government uh, to send a signal to Iran, and I'm glad they did. There's no question about Israel or us, or almost anyone being able, particularly Israel and the U.S., to be able to do... a strike against Iran. There's probably 35 to 40 targets. They're well-protected. They're underground uh, that, that have some capability, some connection to nuclear development. The problem is Iran's capability to hit back with Iraq right next door, and we've got over 150,000 soldiers there, and Iran's ability to upset the apple cart with Hamas in Palestine that controls Palestine and therefore and is controlled by Iran, and Hezbollah in Lebanon so it's not a simple you know hit iran and we feel good iran has the capability to hit back so we've got we really it's got to be a very calculated and purposeful event when we and we have to realize the consequences
1: folks are listening to Jerry Johnson live our guest is colonel david hunt colonel hunt here's my question you've already mentioned iraq uh, iraq has said they don't want us using their country as a staging area to attack Iran. Also, the Russians today warning about any kind of attack on Iran. What will this do for our foreign policy in the region if we go on the uh, offensive, really, against Iran?
5: It'll turn it upside down. It'll be the third country in seven years we went to war with, because if we bomb them, it's a war. Uh, we We don't need to fly from Iraq to bomb Iran. We can do it off aircraft carriers. Uh, The issue is, if Israel hits Iran, that's Jews hitting Muslims, that's not going to go down well. And again, it's Iran's capability to hit back through either terrorism or their own missile capability. They don't have a good standing army. They don't have a capable military force at all. But they do have a very capable capability through terrorists like Hamas and Hezbollah to cause trouble in two countries that we care about. One Israel with Palestine, and the other one in Lebanon. So we, whatever we're going to do, if we do, if we do anything militarily with Iran, we had better think this through because it will turn us turn things upside down um, for a long time.
1: One final question on this for me, and that is a so it's just a matter of gut check. You're a military man uh, because you've I mean you've mentioned there is a, a really high threshold on making this decision because there's going to be a collateral price to pay. But here's my question. If Iran has nuclear weapons, do you think they mean what they say? Israel wiped off the face of the map. Israel, um, you know, the enemy. Um, do, do they really mean to use nuclear weapons against Israel?
5: Yes. I, I, first of all, I think they're a lot further along than, than we want to say publicly. Wow. And, and at first, that's one. And two, you have to take Ahmadinejad very seriously with us, that kind of a threat. He's also threatened us. The issue is, what do you do about it? While we're talking about military and talking about the military capability, we have U.S., British, <laughs> Russian, Chinese, French, a lot of countries doing business in Iran right now. I started out by saying U.S. There's a lot of other things we can do wow. with Iran besides military strike.
4: Colonel Hunt, uh, I'm going to go to Iraq for a minute, because uh, the situation has changed, even though though most of the Democrats yeah, won't bet. admit it. Uh, and certainly the surge has caused some progress to be made there. You've got the government in Iraq taking hold, showing some strength and power there. Uh, so do you think this is a, is a permanent situation? Do you think that we could actually begin slowly to remove our troops?
5: I think that, first of all, we have to give credit for this with great pride. The military, the surge has worked. And I'm very surprised that the, that the Iraqi government is starting to take advantage of it. The military, the Iraqi military and police are beginning to get it and start doing operations by themselves. Uh, I think two or three years sooner than a lot of us expected. Therefore, I think we could, I think we could stop fighting for them mm. this year. Not abandon Iraq. I think we have bases we should keep there because the influence in the Middle, it's in the Middle East, and because the Iraq, Iraqi government still needs to be built up and trained and supported. But
4: fighting for them... And so our presence Iraq, is still important. important
5: this year ...based on the progress.
4: So we need a presence, a, a Western presence it's in the area, just a yeah. different presence.
5: And we all say we got to have a parade. A guys have done a phenomenal job. And if there is great progress and security has been established, we have to maintain it. But I think we can stop fighting for them this year once again, and I would my recommendation has been go to about a fifty thousand troop level, which our trainers and supporters as quickly as possible. Uh, and the sooner we do that, the the better quicker Iraq, not abandon them, stay in train, but Iraq will stand up even better.
1: All right, Colonel Hunt, final question. Uh, right next door, we've got Afghanistan, and uh, now we're hearing. Uh, all of these concerns about developments in Afghanistan, what do you make of that situation?
5: The U.S. sector around Kabul has gone very well. NATO must, the rest of NATO, have to stand up and help. The rest of the, uh, outside the other provinces, we just sent 3,500 Marines uh, to help with the situation. The rest of the provinces are need help from NATO, and it's not happening. And therefore, outside of the U.S. sector, There is still trouble. The drug trade is still outrageously large. There's still massive amounts of corruption. We have done a much better job figuring out the counter-guerrilla, the the anti insurgency campaign in the last year and a half. But the rest of NATO has not stood up with us, and we need their help.
1: Colonel Hunt, uh, one more question, and that is this. You uh, know the military. Who would make the better Commander-in-Chief, John McCain, or would it be Mr. Obama?
5: In time of war, you've got to go with McCain because of his military experience. Politically, it's a whole other issue. And I, 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 McCain's got a temper. We must understand this about <laughs> Brother McCain. His life begins and ends at that POW camp. Five and a half years of what happened to him should not happen to any human being. Mm. And it changed him. And to understand him, just read his book. But clearly in a time of combat, if you're in war, you want, I think, a foreign military guy. That, that, I'm not so sure that means he's better, he makes a better president. Right. That's a political question, but directly answering it, you have to go. The other guy doesn't have any experience. I think he's somewhat of a youngster. But but it's also going to matter who McCain or Obama puts in places like Secretary of Defense, hmm. CIA Director, yes. State Department, Chief, you know, those type of things will be critical for the next administration.
1: Colonel David Hunt, we thank you for your service to our country, and we thank you for joining us again today on Jerry Johnson Live. Have a great weekend. Thank All you. All right. All right, folks, uh, that's very interesting because um, here you go, Uh, Israel saying again and again, we will not allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon, and they have done a dry run on what it would take to bomb these facilities, and Iran responding, we will hit back with a strong And we've got a tinderbox situation just as we've had this ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Uh, Let's go now to another news report because, I mean, we've been talking about national security, and I've been very concerned that Congress is not funding the troops. Here we have men and women in combat risking their lives, and the president has been trying to get the funding, and there is a new development, not only on the funding, but on uh, national security in general
0: top Democrats and the White House agreed on $162 billion to pay for Iraq and Afghanistan well into next year. This legislation
1: gives our troops the funds they need to prevail
0: without tying the hands of our
1: commanders in the field. In return,
0: he agreed to more domestic spending, including extra jobless benefits. Meantime, Bush is also welcoming agreement to let U.S. spies continue warrantless wiretaps on terrorist suspects abroad, while shielding telecom companies from lawsuits over prior snooping that critics say broke the law. Mark Smith at the White House.
4: Well, there certainly were compromises, but it looks like President Bush had a couple of good victories this week and some progress on a couple of areas. The war funding certainly very important. I heard that uh, Peter was being robbed to pay Paul in terms of branches of the military and getting their pay out there. And then this deal on uh, spying powers. And of course, the big sticking point was immunity for telecom companies for helping. And uh, that The president got, and they made an agreement, and so we'll move forward.
1: All right. If you listen carefully to Colonel David Hunt, he said Obama is, quote, a bit of a youngster. And I thought that was very interesting. He called him the other guy. A bit of a youngster. And uh, today Obama announced he would not take public financing for his campaign. Now, to most of you out there, this sounds pretty technical and maybe not so interesting or important. But it raises very important questions about trust, hypocrisy. Is Obama truly the candidate of change, or is he just another Washington politician? We're going to talk about that when we come back. Is he ready to be commander-in-chief? This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll talk about that when we come back.
0: college today for information about the upcoming term call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu that's criswell.edu you're listening to jerry johnson live now here's your host dr jerry johnson president of criswell college and criswell communications
3: We've made the decision not to participate in the public financing system for the general election. This means we'll be foregoing more than $80 million in public funds during the final months of this election.
1: Well, isn't that generous? He is foregoing over $80 million of public financing, saving you, the taxpayers, that money. It sounds generous, but there are huge problems with this. Now, if you'll hang on here for about five minutes, you'll understand this issue. But today, Barack Obama announced he's not taking public financing for his campaign. And I want to tell you, if you elect a president, you want someone you can trust. You want someone who's not a hypocrite. You want someone, if they say their agenda is change, that really will bring a change from traditional Washington politics, and particularly special interest politics. Now, John McCain was quick today To come out and say, I have huge problems with Barack Obama on this. Here's John McCain. This is a big deal. A big deal. He has completely reversed himself and gone back, not on his word to me, but the commitment that he made to the American people. All right, number one, he says he's reversed himself. Number two, he's gone back on his word with the American people. Here's McCain. Here's more. This election has done a lot of things. But it's also about trust. It's also whether you can take people's word. All right, number three, he said it's about trust. Number four, it's about whether you can take someone at their word. Here's McCain on more. I'm especially disturbed by this decision of Senator Obama's because he signed his name on a piece of paper. All right, so that'd be number five. He signed his name to his piece of paper. So, Penna, what he's saying is, look, on the first case... In the first place, Obama said, I will take public financing, and today he says, I won't. Now, we need to document this, and so just now, let's listen to Barack Obama's original commitment to public financing of the campaign.
3: Well, I strongly support public financing, and I I know Dick does too. He's going to have some things to say about it, because when we were having, as you'll recall, the the major debates around uh, uh, lobbying reform, Uh, One of the things that Dick, I think, properly pointed out was that uh, you can change the rules on lobbying here in Washington, but if uh, we're still getting financed primarily from individual contributions, uh, that uh, those with the most money are still going to have the most influence.
1: All right, he says, if you get that money from individuals, those who give the money have the most influence. That was his original argument. Special interest, high donors, but he's changed his tune today. Penna, explain the difference because, folks, this is important to you. Explain the difference between public and private financing and, really, Obama's change.
4: Well, to explain uh, public financing, you just have to go back to your tax return where you get to check off whether you're going to give money to campaigns or not. And a lot of people check that off, and that money goes to finance campaigns. And this is really a post-Watergate reform uh, because they said there's too much money in campaigns. McCain has said that. Obama has said that. And, you know, I would contend that money is speech, and in a sense, uh, maybe the public finance system is not the best system, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're really talking about somebody making a promise and then turning back on it. And the reason why this is important is a couple of reasons. First, Barack Obama did this because he's had such a great track record of raising money. He doesn't have a whole lot of money right now for the general election, but uh, and compared to McCain, he even doesn't. But he thinks because of what happened in the primary, that he can really raise this. Now, he is trying to twist this around and say that this is really public financing because his donations have been small donations from lots of people. He says he will not rely on big companies and special interests like his opponent, he's saying, McCain does, because he can get all these numbers of people and all this financing. That is so naive and unrealistic to be able to say that. He will end up being just like like Every other politician, he will rely on certain interests, the ones that agree with him on various issues, and he will move into the same situation that he's been criticizing. What's happening is our people are going to let him get away with being number one, the candidate of change of being the candidate that is going to be bringing in some sort of new kind of politics. Are they going to let him get away with that and still turn around And raise money from special interests, which is exactly what he's going to end up doing.
1: Okay, he says he's the reform, the change candidate. He is rejecting the number one reform since Watergate and government corruption by special interest. He's rejecting that. Now, we're for equal time here, and so let's go to Barack Obama today. He gave an explanation of why he's crawfishing on this issue. It's not an easy
3: decision, especially because I support a robust system of public financing of elections. But the public financing of presidential elections, as it exists today, is broken. And we face opponents who become masters at gaming this broken system.
1: All right, he says, I support it, but I'm not going to do it. That's a kind of a doublespeak, I would say. But he says the system's broken. He goes on to explain how it's broken.
3: John McCain's campaign and the Republican National Committee are fueled by contributions from Washington lobbyists and special interest PACs. And We've already seen that he's not going to stop the smears and attacks from his allies running so-called 527 groups, who will spend millions and millions of dollars
1: in unlimited donations. All right, did you get that? He said McCain and the Republicans are financed by special interest. Does he mean that the Democrats... And his campaign are not financed by special interest. He also brought up the so-called 527s. These are those special commercials, like the Swift Boat ads you see on TV or something like that. Do you know the largest 527 group in America? It's not conservative. It's not Republican. It's MoveOn.org. They are the largest. They're a liberal group. Yes, Penna.
4: All right. If you look at the numbers and these 527 groups, political groups supporting Senator Obama have spent $15.3 million so far in the campaign. These independent groups supporting Senator McCain have spent only $1.1 million. This is according to federal campaign finance records. And, you know, we're seeing all these ads put out by MoveOn.org and George Soros and others. These count in that $15 So that was just a completely bogus criticism that he made of uh, the Republicans and John McCain. Okay.
1: Now, again, Obama's claimed to be the change candidate. Now, one thing he's changed today is his position on campaign Mm -hmm. finance reform. But here he is on change. If we
3: don't stand together, the broken system we have now, a system where special interests drown out the voices of the American people, will continue to erode our politics and prevent the possibility of real change.
1: i just say again, he has rejected the number one change and reform since Watergate. He says he's for change. He's rejected that change. Now, Hillary Clinton, uh, it's very interesting, Hillary Clinton spoke to this issue some time ago and really uh, mocked, Barack Obama. Here's Hillary Clinton.
5: Let's just get everybody together. Let's get unified. The sky will open. The light will come down. Celestial choirs will be singing, and everyone will know we should do the right thing, and the world will be perfect. Maybe I've just lived a little long... But I have no illusions about how hard this is going to be. You are not going to wave a magic wand and have the special interest disappear.
1: All right, Hillary says the special interest will not disappear. Well, I go back to Obama's original statement. He says individual contributors with the most money will have the most influence. That was his original right. objection to this. But today he says, I'm above it. I can handle it. I won't be corrupted. But he said it, and Hillary said it, but he has changed his position. Why? Because of the money. And that is the original concern people have had with the system, is that money corrupts the politicians. Now look, who are those groups going to be for a liberal Democrat like Obama? The trial lawyers. The unions. The teachers' union, particularly. Uh, The Mm pro-abortion, pro-homosexual groups. These are not the good guys that are going to be raising money for him. These are going to be the bad guys raising the money. I'm for teachers, but I am not for the teachers' union. I am for the blue-collar worker, but I am not for their union. And uh, I think Obama has just become a regular um, Democrat hack politician making this decision today you know
4: I'm glad we explained it today I don't know if it's going to be explained this thoroughly in other places people really need to understand it his supporters need to understand it because Dr. Johnson we hear a lot of people who have no other reason for supporting him other than he's the candidate of change he's a fresh face he's new he's going to change politics in Washington he's just demonstrated today that he's the same kind of politician as anybody else
1: I read a story once about it when Jimmy Carter won the nomination. He was an outsider like Obama. He really did have a vision to come in and to change the way Washington worked. But because he had accepted so much money from the Democrat political machine, the day after the nomination, a man came in that had been working with him and said, all right, let's make these choices now for your cabinet. Let's bring the change and the VP and all of this. And he said Carter was crying And Carter said to him, those decisions have already been made by the political power brokers in the party, the donors, and the people who gathered up the donations. Obama has put himself in that position by taking this private financing. He's going to have to do what the people with the money bags tell him to do. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk someone on the left, our favorite liberal. You may think, well, this is one-sided. Well, this is our version of the Fairness Doctrine. Our favorite liberal, Carl Jeffers, will be on the program in the next segment. We're going to ask him about Obama and trust, hypocrisy, change. We're going to ask him about Colonel Hunt's statement that he's a bit of a youngster. It will surprise you. Who says this cannot be the Republicans' issue, the issue of experience? We'll talk about it when we come back.
0: You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications.
1: The other side talks a lot about hope. That sums up their Iraq policy pretty well. They want to retreat from Iraq. And hope nothing bad happens. All right, that's President Bush today. I think he's referring to Obama's audacity of hope theme. Hope that things will turn out well in Iraq if we have a quick retreat. Is Obama naive on foreign policy? That's a very important question. But there's another question emerging today. Is Obama naive when it comes to the influence of big money in politics? Is he naive on the influence of special interests? Today, Obama announced he will not take public financing, but private financing for his campaign.
3: We've made the decision not to participate in the public financing system for the general election. This means we'll be foregoing more than $80
1: million in public funds during the final months of this election. All right, this raises questions of his sincerity when it comes to being the change candidate. It also raises questions about trust and authenticity. With us to talk about it, our favorite liberal, Carl Jeffers. He is editorial contributor to the Seattle Times. He is the official political analyst for the station K.I.R.O. He hosts his own show called On Fire with Carl Jeffers. Carl, what do you think of this Obama announcement today?
2: Uh, Well, Jerry, it's, uh, it's interesting because as an announcement in and of itself, the decision is actually very supportable uh... that uh... if you have a situation where you're not going to be limited uh... by the restraints of uh... public financing and you have no limitation to the amount of funding that you have available to you uh, virtually every candidate would take advantage of that uh... the problem that he has is that he had made equally strong public pronouncements in the past that he was not uh... going to forego uh, and And opt out of the public finance uh restrictions, and he was would accept public financing and not take the private contributions so what it does is it it makes people wonder, are we dealing with someone
4: who is
2: essentially just like the typical politician that we've always dealt with uh who looks at things from the standpoint of view what is partisanly it, it, to my advantage and <laughs> will play the same Washington insider game as always and that creates the problem that he has. It's a it's a PR problem more than a uh judgment problem because the judgment is is a fine judgment. It's the it's the smart move. Uh but the uh image that it pro- projects and the questions it raises from the standpoint of the PR do
4: have people wondering? You know, who are we dealing with here, Carl? Uh, I think the naivete question is good because uh, you had Hillary Clinton running against him. We played a clip from her earlier. She was just so savvy about the fact that special interests are going to be a part of campaigns, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it is. That's politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Barack Obama said, "No, it's not going to be." Uh, so then he was going to take public financing. Now he's not taking them, but he says he has enough small donors around the country that he could just raise plenty of money there. Is he naive?
2: Uh, Well, he's not naive about his own situation because he's right. He does have enough small donors who have, in many cases, never given before to a political campaign and have oftentimes, we've seen, have given three and four times during the primary to Obama.
4: So you mean the teachers' unions, the pro-abortion groups, those groups Mm -hmm. are not going to give big bucks and have an influence on him?
2: Well, they certainly will, and the question, though, uh, is, uh, does he then open up a Pandora's box for the future? Because the next time around, it will be difficult to make the arguments that he was making before and others were making if it turns out that the candidate who has the money he has the next time is one more closely as- uh, associated with corporate interests, uh, oil companies, and others. And, and the common cause people around the country are suggesting that this will set back the progress And it won't be able to be uh, recouped if they're unlucky enough that the next time the person in Obama's position... But he's going
4: to be above all this, right?
1: All right, Carl, let's switch gears real quick. I want to go to another Obama issue. Uh, Here's a report. We're going to play two reports. I'm going to ask you to respond. This is a report about these two Muslim women that were removed uh, from the audience behind Obama. Here's AP Correspondent Jeff Karub.
3: They wear headscarves, the traditional Muslim headscarves known as hijabs, and uh, they were told that they would not be invited, along with the rest of the group they were with, to sit in these seats behind Obama that are in front of the TV cameras.
1: All right, Obama apologized, but here's Abraham Hooper with the Council on American-Islamic Relations. He says that's not enough. We're calling on the senator's campaign, to invite them specifically to an upcoming event so that they can see and we can all see that he's true to his word about an inclusive America. All right. Here's my question, Carl. Is Obama trying to have it both ways? He's a candidate of openness. He's uh, the candidate that transcends race and religion, but uh, his staff shoving people around trying to present a picture.
2: Well, it again interesting. These are the kinds of boxes that he's sort of trapped himself into. Uh because the the idea of a thematic approach of, of one of hope and change uh with with, with arguing that we will we will forego all of the trappings of washington insider politics and not play the old games as an argument in defeating hillary clinton is actually now putting him in a position where anything he does that he probably has to do to strategically put himself in a position to try to win in november makes him look like somewhat of a cover hypocrite in terms of flip-flopping on his previous positions and that's unfortunately the situation that he boxed himself into uh, every campaign uh, has people whose job full time is to make sure that the candidates' appearances are staged, that the right people are up there. I mean, for the last eight years, every speech President Bush gives, they try to find as many Hispanics and African Americans as they can find sure. to put behind them And those two groups are perhaps the groups that feel the most alienated by his policies. But when you when you try to present the image of being one that's going beyond that then when that does happen it does make it look a bit uh, hypocritical and that's the problem he's dealing with here on campaign finance reform as kinda referred to and as you yourself and on on other issues that are are bound to come up including iraq by the way where i promise you between now and november he will move closer to a more centrist position closer to where hillary was rather than his position before which was that the next day essentially he'd have the troops home in six months I guarantee you won't hear that mentioned once in the debates this
4: fall. Well, that's the question I have for you. First of all, we have a drudge headline that says there's a Newsweek shock poll out. Obama has opened up a 15-point lead over McCain. and okay. But I want to ask you, because he is flip-flopping or moving to the center, whichever way you want to describe it. So is he going to uh, move to the center on Iraq? Uh, is he going to move to the center on raising our capital gains taxes, our uh, income taxes, and our payroll taxes—is going to uh, flip flop on that one too?
1: Drilling. Well, he will.
2: He will make the argument that uh, any of the position changes that he takes are not flip flops, but they are, in fact, uh, embracing a broader perspective. And he will move to the center. Uh, everybody does, because the center is where American election, elections are won. They're not won on the far left, and they're not won as a rule we on the far right either. Uh, Ronald Reagan did not run and win. Uh, by appearing to be a far right wing conservative, he won by appearing to be someone who related to the problems of the American people and who could deal with those problems from the center. And Bill Clinton did not win by appearing to be a George McGovern, Howard Dean type liberal. He ran as a Democratic Leadership Council, which, as you know, is very mainstream and centrist and making the people feel that he understands their pain. One thing Obama does have going for him is that I underestimated how bad the economy uh, might become, and as a result, that will absolutely help him to convince people that he can feel their pain and deal with things but he will have to demonstrate though that in his movement to the center because of how particularly strong his positions were before that it does not appear to be flip-flopping and we'll have to see uh, how successful he is doing that Uh, and you are right about the new poll numbers there's a more important poll than drudge a Quinnipiac poll that shows in the three major swing states Florida Ohio and Pennsylvania, that uh, Obama is now uh, pulling away with a not a huge lead, but a three to five point lead. Whereas just three or four weeks ago, he was running either dead even or behind McCain in those three critical states.
1: You're listening to Jerry Johnson live. Our guest is Carl Jeffers. We're here our weekly political roundup. Carl, uh, we just had Colonel David Hunt on. He said, "Look, this guy's a bit of a youngster." Now I want you to listen. To Al Gore, I want you to respond to this. Richard
0: Nixon's slogan in that campaign was, Experience Counts. To which John F. Kennedy responded, and I quote, To exclude from positions of trust and command all those below the age of 44 would have kept Jefferson from writing the Declaration of Independence, Washington from commanding the Continental Army, Madison from fathering the Constitution, and Christopher Columbus from even Discovering America.
1: All right, Carl, I saw another poll yesterday that 61% of Americans are concerned that Obama does not have enough experience. What do you make of that?
2: Well, I think that poll addresses a real concern because, you know, as a matter of fact, you can go back in your own public record of the Jerry Johnson show and you will be able to find statements I made three or four months ago where I said that hope and change may be the issue now. But in the fall campaign, it will be experienced. And the only thing I could add to the to quote from Al Gore is that he mentioned ages like 44 and 40 and those ages with Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. The problem for Obama is that at those same ages, however, they had accomplished much more at that age uh, you know, than, <laughs> than, than he has at his age in terms of being able to put forward credentials to be elected president. Carl, that- you <laughs> sound
4: like a McCain supporter.
2: no but you know me. I'm I'm your favorite liberal because I try to make sense. I mean, you know, I'm very much on the left side. I'm not a McCain supporter. I'm an Obama supporter. But I felt Hillary had the best chance to win. And the reason I felt that way was because the issues that you two are raising today are the issues I've been saying all along would be issues that she could overcome much easier than Obama will overcome when he has to address those issues. And this is the concern I have in terms of electability in the November. Now he may be able to do it. He may be able to overcome it. But if I had to put my my decision as to who I would support based on who had the best chance, I want to win. I want. I don't want the symbolic victory of winning. Carl, we got
1: to go. Yeah. Carl, you are our favorite liberal. We look forward to having you back soon. Carl Jeffers. I look forward to that. Great to be here. All right, you. Carl.
0: that's chriswill.edu You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications.
3: She's hearing these words from Obama about the change that's going to come if he's elected president. But she said that as she sat there listening to his speech, she said, wait a minute, I was profiled and discriminated against.
1: Okay, so this is uh, the Muslim woman, there were two of them, wearing a head covering, s- supporting Obama, seated behind the platform at the rally. But because she would appear behind him for the TV shot, for the newspaper shot, Obama's handlers moved her and her friend and said, We cannot have women with head coverings. We cannot have that image. Well, so much for change. So much for transcending religion and religious differences and uh, racial differences. Um, This is politics as usual. So much for change on campaign finance reform, too, which he said... He would not take that money. He would not take private money. Now he says, I'm going to. Well, is Obama really the candidate of change? Now, we've also addressed this issue of experience. And even though we've hit it, Newt Gingrich, who is a conservative, who is a Republican, says he has a warning for conservatives, a warning for Republicans, that you better not make this youth and inexperience argument against Obama. In the
0: American tradition, uh, Abraham Lincoln served one term in Congress. I think it's a fundamental mistake to focus on whether or not he is qualified to be president and a powerful question of what kind of president he would be. But that is largely what McCain and his people are focusing on now. It's inexperience, inexperience, inexperience. Except they just keep hammering all, away it.
1: won't work. It's a mistake. Well, that's quite a warning, Penna. And, uh, you know, it really does remind me about what really matters. And I want to focus the rest of the show on that because, you know, it is interesting that Obama's changed his position on campaign finance reform. It raises questions of trust and hypocrisy and whether or not the change he's offering is authentic. Uh, It is interesting that, um, you know, his handlers are you know, creating a propaganda picture when he's on the stage rather than, you know, who's really there and supporting him and they're moving these Muslim women around. It is uh, interesting that he's put the lapel pin on again after taking it off and all these issues are interesting. But our people are really concerned I think about real issues for conservatives, for Christians and I think my number one problem with Obama is his position on abortion.
2: Hundreds of pro-life activists from all across the country are coming to Denver, where the Democratic National Convention is being held at the end of August.
1: Why are they going to be there? Uh, Because Obama's views are very radical.
2: Senator Obama talks about being a candidate of change, being a candidate of hope, and yet he embraces radical abortion positions that most Americans would find
1: appalling. All right, that's the director of the Christian Defense Coalition. Penna, do you think uh, you know this is really going to hurt Obama in the fall?
4: Well, I think there are uh, some Democrats, some liberals who are pro-life. There are a lot of them out there, and they mostly supported Ronald Reagan. Uh, back during those years, uh, what's going to happen with them is up for grabs. I think I've been very surprised to see how race has trumped a lot of other issues. So, in a sense, the black community may go for Obama, even if they're pro-life. I'm I'm hoping that you know people will begin to think about the issues as we go forward. That's really what we're going to be discussing on this program. I'm concerned about the abortion issue. I'm concerned about the social issues, family. I'm also concerned about the economy, and you know people see uh, problems in the economy, so they want to go for change. But the positions that this candidate has on raising taxes will not help the economy.
1: And then there's another huge issue out there, and that could be a nightmare for him in the fall, and that is the issue of so called gay marriage out in California, because um, that really seemed to help the Republicans in the last national election cycle in places like Ohio, uh, certainly in Florida. And you've got now these legal gay marriages, so-called, out in California that are going to be pressed upon all the other states. And we may hear a lot of talk of this in the fall. Here's Obama asked by ABC News just this past week about his view on California.
3: I still think that these are decisions that need to be made uh, at a state and local level. Uh, I'm a strong supporter of civil unions. I do believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but I also think that same-sex partners should be able to visit each other in hospitals. They should be able to transfer property.
1: Does it bother you what California is doing? No. All right, this is the silly talk that Jimmy Carter gave about abortion. Jimmy Carter says, I'm against abortion, but I think states and counties and individuals and, yes, even the country should be able to decide. People want to know what the government leader thinks ought to be the policy of the land. It doesn't matter what your personal opinion is, should it be legal or illegal. So he says, Oh, I think marriage is between a man and a woman, but California should be able to decide. And America should be able to decide. And then does it bother you? He said clearly, no, it does not bother me. He is against a national definition of marriage. He's against a constitutional definition, an amendment which would define marriage as between an, a man and a woman. How do you think that'll affect him in the fall, Penna?
4: We've had a theme of naivete today. Is he naive? inexperienced? it may not be the uh, right way or the political way to stop a Barack Obama, but on this marriage issue, he is, again, naive because you will get a national definition of marriage. It'll be the California definition if we leave it the way it is because... People are already going to California. I mean, I read about a couple going from Austin, Texas. He's just in the newspaper today to California to get married. They'll come back. I mean, maybe they won't be able to do anything in Texas because we have a strong constitutional amendment. But what about the state of New York where they say they're going to recognize marriages from other states? This is going to spread across the country. I was on a call with some attorneys from the Alliance Defense Fund yesterday. They have got their attorneys spread out across the nation to try to fight these cases because they expect marriage laws in every state to be challenged by homosexuals marrying in California. California. Okay, homosexuality and the murder
1: of the unborn these are issues, real issues for conservatives and Christians and Obama's going to have a difficulty there. I want to remind you the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. Now we all sin and we're all sinners but when a nation codifies, sin, affirms it publicly, that cannot be good for the nation. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all of the nations that forget God. If you're going to do government without reference to God, if you're going to do policy and culture without reference to God, the Bible says the wicked will be turned into hell and all of the nations that forget God. That cannot be a good thing for our country. Well, Today is a special day. It is the last day for Andrew A. Bear. He is one of our producers here at Jerry Johnson Live. He's been great in terms of theology, great in terms of politics. He's also served as a booker, as a phone screener for this program. Andrew, we thank God for you. We personally are very thankful for your ministry here to so many people and to us. So hats off to Andrew A. Bear today. He is the pastor of the Direct Baptist Church in Direct, Texas. And we pray that God will bless you in that new ministry. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be back next week.
0: You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.